Welcome to another episode of Uncle Pete's Storytime. I'm your friend, Uncle Pete. Hope you're doing good. Now, my last few stories have involved me getting fired, and interestingly enough, I recently got fired from my job, which is okay, because I really didn't like it, and I'll find another one. But in the interim, I thought I'd tell a story about the best human friend that I've had to this point. As any human being has gone through it knows, middle school sucks. You can be the coolest, best-looking, most athletic kid in the whole USA, and you're still going to be miserable a whole lot of the time. And I was none of those things. So that splendid time between ages 12 through 14 could have been a really hellish nightmare for me. I mean, I was tall, but I couldn't play basketball worth a damn. As big, but I couldn't play football worth a damn. I loved music and I loved to sing, but my voice was changing, so I couldn't sing worth a damn. The time I spent at McLaughlin Junior High School in Medford, Oregon had lots of opportunities to really suck. Fortunately, I happened to meet a short kid with thick glasses and a speech impediment named Troy Paulson Thrush. I was super tall for my age. Troy was short. I was fat. Troy was skinny. I hardly ever shut my damn mouth. Troy hardly ever talked. We were destined to be friends from the get-go. We both played football in seventh grade because if you're a boy growing up in Medford, Oregon, you play football. I had to quit a few days into the season because of my eye disorder. My lack of good peripheral vision and inability to move my eyes was constantly getting me knocked over. And that was just from running one drill to another. Troy was able to hang in there the whole year. At every junior high game in our league, they played a fifth quarter after the actual game so that players who didn't play during the regular game, like Troy, got the chance to see some actual game action. The highlight of his seventh grade football career was the fifth quarter against our arch rival, the Hedrick Hornets, the school across town where the rich kids went. That was not at all true, of course, but that was our perception. In the fifth quarter, we were ahead of Hedrick 6-0 because we scored a touchdown and then missed the point after. Hedrick got the ball back with just a few seconds left on the clock, and in those final seconds, they busted loose a pass play that looked like it would go for the tying and possibly winning touchdown, but a short, scrawny, little defensive back mustered up all the speed that he could, got the best angle that he could, and dragged down that nasty Hedrick Hornet from behind with a horse-collar tackle that would probably draw a penalty flag nowadays to save the fifth quarter for the McLaughlin Bulldogs. And that scrawny little defensive back was Troy. I had the best view in the house. Since I was unable to play, I was offered the indignity of being the equipment manager for the team. Collecting soiled uniforms and passing out towels wasn't exactly the greatest job in the world, but it let me be on the sidelines and feel like I was part of the team. And sometimes I got to work the chains or the down marker. Sometimes I would just stand by the cheerleaders and try out my jokes to see if them finding me funny was a successful form of flirting. By and large, it wasn't. Although one time, a cheerleader named Carrie said, You're so funny, and gave me a smooch on the cheek, complete with the -the over-the-top sound. I almost passed out. Once football season was over, Troy and I hung out a lot at the Medford City Library after school. 
He tried in vain to get me into history because he found it fascinating, and I tried somewhat more successfully to get him into Mad Magazine and listening to comedy records through headphones. I loved everything about comedy, but I didn't know anything about how it was made. One day, after a library session as we were sitting at the Medford location of Jacksonville Bakery, eating Bismarck's and drinking Coca-Cola, which was Troy's beverage of choice, he said, I know you think you're funny, but have you ever tried getting in front of an audience? Well, the truth was, I had. I did old Bill Cosby routines at the school talent show in 4th, 5th, and 6th grade, but I didn't know how to write my own material, and in the program for the talent show, it was always... Pete Young presents a comedy routine by Bill Cosby. Troy suggested I try writing my own comedy to find out if I was actually funny or not. Well, in seventh grade, I couldn't muster up the courage. And come school talent show time, I did another Bill Cosby monologue. For the eighth grade talent show, though, I finally gave my balls a tug and wrote about eh, between four and five minutes worth of my own material complete with impressions of teachers and our principal, Mr. Stroh, and also other students. I bombed. Horribly. But over more donuts and soda, Troy said, well, at least now you know that you can write your own stuff, so that's, uh, that's something. He was also kind enough to say it wasn't that bad, even though we both knew it was. Somehow, we had managed to navigate junior high school together, and we had that going for us. But because we didn't have any classes in common freshman year, Troy and I didn't get to see each other very much or spend too much time together. I was in advanced English. Troy was in regular English. Apparently, I should have been too. I was lagging behind in algebra. Troy had moved on to geometry. I had regular U.S. history. Troy had advanced U.S. history. I had Spanish. Troy had Japanese. So freshman was a year was a continuation of the hellish social nightmare of junior high as well, and it was even harder for me to navigate because I was now trying to find a niche to fit in. I was too, uh, well, let's say, academically imbalanced to be a good nerd, and too terrible at basketball, which I was still trying to play to be a jock. I didn't skip school to smoke marijuana and listen to Dead Kennedys and Black Flag so I couldn't hang out with the stoners. And my parents weren't rich, so I couldn't be a skier golfer bro. I had started exercising to try to get my body to look and feel better, and I was still hopelessly trying to flirt with girls using humor to compensate for my clumsiness and awkwardness. And actually, that was sort of coming along, but it's a long road. I didn't really have a friend to tether me to a feeling of belonging, to being something or being anything. So then one day after playing racquetball by myself at the YMCA for a couple hours after school, I walked up to the library to see if Troy was still hanging out there. Turns out that he was. That was good to see. So in the summer between freshman and sophomore years, I worked out really hard. I ate really carefully, and I worked on my basketball skills and went to a couple of different basketball camps, determined that I would make use of being tall and stop being a fatty. So I did. I became a basketball nerd. I spent hours and hours practicing Pistol Pete Maravich shooting and dribbling drills. I had gotten those from library books and also from basketball camp at the YMCA. And I was in good enough condition that I almost signed up to go out for football in the fall. But then I remembered that I would get killed and thought the better of it. 
But I was now a six foot three, one hundred seventy pound lean, mean awkwardness machine. I mean, I could semi-confidently talk to groups, including girls now, and it didn't quite sting as badly when they turned me down, which nine times out of, okay, 9.9 times. Most all the time, they still did. And that turned out to be something Troy and I still had in common. And when school started in sophomore year, we both had advanced English with Mrs. Chadwell, so we became thick as thieves again, just like in the donut and soda days of junior high. Then a couple of big events took place. In September, uh, Troy got his driver license and bought a used Pontiac J2000 hatchback with the money that he'd saved over years of having a paper route and mowing lawns. And I made the basketball team. Not varsity. Not even JV, actually. I made the C team, appropriately named after the third letter in the alphabet because it was the third option for sophomores and juniors who weren't good enough for JV, but still had some potential. It was at least a school official basketball team with our own uniforms and everything. I was number 53. Now, my potential mostly centered around the fact that I was tall and you can't coach height. We didn't have our own cheerleaders and we didn't even play on the main floor. The pep band sure as hell didn't play for us like they did at varsity games, but it was still fun and I was now at least sort of friends with jocks and because my voice had settled into a groove, I was in choir and didn't stand out sounding like a clarinet with a broken reed anymore. So I was friends with music nerds, and Troy and I were both in plays and in the writing club, so we were both drama and writing nerds too. So a lot of crossover between music, drama, and writing nerds. So we had friends in drama, band, choir, and literary nerddom. We had kind of found our nerd groove, if you will. Of course, since I was also a basketball player, I sometimes got a little bit full of myself. But Troy was always faithful to remind me that not only was I not on varsity, or even JV, I was on C-team, and mostly a bench warmer at that. He and our other friend from junior high, Jason Smith, used to TP my pickup once I got one, and my parents' house sometimes, just to remind me to stay humble and not think that I was cool, because I damn sure was not. If I got to talking about basketball like I was actually part of the school program, Troy would say, yeah, you did a really good job of holding down the bench for the C team to make sure it didn't blow away. At least he would go to the games, though. But junior year, I didn't even make the C team, so I had to focus on my other passion, which was being the funniest guy in the room. I wasn't. Troy was. However, his speech impediment, while improved after years of therapy, held him back from telling jokes as easily as he wanted to, and his sense of humor was so dry it made dust uncomfortable, so he was fine being the Chuck D to my flavor Flav. Now, I had a few dates here and there, which was pretty fun. And to quote the great Philadelphia comic Tommy Pope, I wasn't a virgin in high school, but I had sex the way that white people eat Indian food. Like, maybe once a year, but then they don't shut up about it for six months. This only made Troy work harder to keep my ego in check, and he was good at it. Senior year, I worked at a laundromat slash dry cleaner after school for most of the year, so I just came to school in my work clothes so I wouldn't have to change before work. Troy, on the other hand, would always dress really nice, and he had gotten contact lenses so the thick glasses were gone. He presented the best possible version of himself, 
And it got him a lot more respect and a lot less stink eye than I got from teachers and peers and, of course, girls. The girls thing almost came between us at one point, though. He was into this girl named Lana, last name redacted to protect the innocent, first name changed to protect the guilty. She, however, was into me. Now, a gentleman would not have allowed her to come between us and would have honored the age-old code of bros before hoes, but I was not a gentleman. I was a teenage boy with active hormones. One night, senior year, after a basketball game, which we all enjoyed from the stands, Troy, Lana, a couple other friends I don't remember, we all went to McDonald's, as one does. Well, Lana and I got to talking, and one thing led to another, and before long, we were out in the parking lot in my 1984 Ford Ranger, being far less than classy, (laughs) and uh, doing amorous things. Lana was kind of relishing being a bad girl, because she was a four-point student, first chair violinist in the orchestra, on her way to an Ivy League education, and I was really, really beneath her, academically, socioeconomically, and in this case in the truck, literally. When she emerged from my truck, smoking a cigarette, blouse buttoned all crooked, hair and makeup all askew, my best friend wanted desperately to kick my ass. But we both knew that wasn't going to happen. We didn't talk for a few days, which was unusual. But because Troy was a bigger person than me, he eventually asked me if I wanted to go to Wendy's for lunch with him. And as we were about to pull up to the drive-thru, he said, I'm going to forget all about what you did because you're my best friend and I know you couldn't help yourself. But someday when you get married, I'm totally going to make out with your wife and feel her up on your wedding day. We both had a good laugh at that one. Although I was worried that he might be serious. Because we ended up attending different universities, we hardly saw each other freshman year of college, although I did go up from OSU to visit him at Willamette in Salem, where he was studying Japanese and business. (sighs) One time I got steaming pissed drunk and made an ass of myself in front of his friends, so once again we didn't talk for a while, and that was a pattern of which I was not, well, I'm not proud, and I've had to make my peace with that. I did a lot of really stupid stuff, and Troy forgave me, and all he ever did to me was occasionally rag me in front of the group or remind me that he was the real brains of the outfit. In 1997 or so, I was working in the high-pressure, low-pay world of local radio in Corvallis, Oregon, and Troy, having just gotten out of the Army, decided to resume the college education that he'd put on hold in order to use the military to allow him to see the world. He loved to travel and find out more about the world than most people in the States are ever willing to do. And he'd fallen head over heels madly in love with Japan and was bound and determined to get back there after he was done with school. He got through a year at OSU and then to save money, we became roommates so that he could go to school and I could go to work and we'd both continue to live indoors and be able to pay for it. I went through several relationships with various women, including one nice lady who was a recovering addict to pain meds before it was fashionable, and Troy had a way of telling me to move on from the women without telling me it was time to move on from them. If I described an incident or a conversation I'd had with any of the women, he'd say something profound, such as, hmm. That usually meant he didn't necessarily approve. 
He himself had woman troubles because he was still pining for his former girlfriend who lived in Japan, and any time he met a Japanese woman in Corvallis, he had this tendency to fall for her quickly and kind of scare her off. So we were quite a pair. I would find the most damaged women I could and be with them. He would find nice Japanese girls and terrify them by falling head over heels after two dinner dates and a movie. So after his uh, second junior year, we'll call it, he applied for a job teaching English in Japan and thinking he was on track to graduate, did make plans for having to come back to school for another year. At the end of the school year, I moved into an apartment of my own, downtown Corvallis across the street from Safeway. And he went back to Southern Oregon to spend the summer with his parents while applying for more jobs. The events that would unfold proved just what good friends we actually were and how we really had a high tolerance for one another. Just a week before school was going to start again, he just called me out of the blue. And we hadn't really kept in touch over the summer because we were both really busy working, me in radio in Corvallis and him at a restaurant in Bandon while looking for other work. But on Friday night, he just called me and said, So listen, I didn't graduate, and I need to go to school for another year, and it starts Tuesday. Can I move in with you? What now? <laughs> My apartment was a converted motel room that was now a studio apartment. So I said, uh, sure, not a lot of room, though. I mean, like for a bed or whatever. And he said, oh, that's okay. I sold my bed anyhow. So from then on, my ugly brown floral couch was his bed, and our apartment was divided by my dresser and desk. We had a heck of a time, though. We were right by this cheap pizza place that was called J.C.'s Pizzeria, and we'd go get us a $10 large pizza and a 2-liter or a pitcher of Coke, still his beverage of choice after all these years, and that's how we'd tear it up on weekends. I guess it isn't tearing it up as much as gently folding it. We'd get up at 7 a.m. to watch college game day during football season because we were apparently also football nerds, and we'd watch terrible movies on HBO and Showtime, which was included with Rent. Then I met Cindy. Cindy was a soon-to-be-divorced, yet technically still married, single mom, and we fell in love pretty fast. Troy warned me. He did. He told me right up front because he knew... I might have mentioned it, that I had slept with her on our first date, and she was still technically married. She's going to cheat on you at some point, so don't get too serious. She will tear your heart out right through your ass. Guaranteed. I guarantee it. And because I'm just that smart, I ignored Troy's advice, and three months in and the ink barely dry on her divorce, I asked Cindy to marry me. She said yes. I helped paint the house we were moving into. I helped her move from her old apartment into the new house that we were renting. I learned exactly where my place was in helping her take care of her daughter, which was basically providing transportation and shutting my mouth. Then one Friday, she called me at the apartment that I still shared with Troy, technically, and she told me that she needed to cancel our plans for the weekend and spend some time with her sister and have some me time, as she called it. I told Troy about that, and he said, most profoundly, hmm. Curiosity compelled me, so after Troy and I had gone to a movie in Albany, we casually drove by the new house I was about to move into with Cindy, and sure as God's got sandals, there was a car I didn't recognize in the driveway. 
Saturday, one of my coworkers called me to tell me that he had seen her at the concert they had gone to, and she was with another guy, and they were kissing like a couple of teenagers in a car at a McDonald's parking lot. And that was all the confirmation I needed. I handled it in the most mature fashion I knew how. I waited until Sunday when I knew she was at work, went into the house, and moved out all of my stuff, ripped the head right off of the stuffed Scooby-Doo that I had won for her at the county fair, and left my key on the coffee table on top of a note that said, I hope you can live with yourself, you filthy whore. When Troy got home from a shift at Dairy Queen, I told him all about it, and he said, Well then, JC's Pizza and Coke's on me. The next woman with whom I got romantically entangled was even worse. She was at least single, but she was literally insane. Everyone warned me. Troy had been away for spring break, and by the time he got back, I was all up in this relationship, and Nicole was good-looking, like out-of-my-league good-looking, and I should have seen that as a red flag, should have heard the locust buzzing, but, you know, sex and low self-esteem are a deadly combination, and she hadn't met Troy yet, partly because she was trying to cut off my relationship with all my friends and family, everyone else in a manipulating combination of sex, crying, threats to kill herself, eventually threats to kill me, more crying, more sex, and she was a puppet master, and I was dangling on all manner of strings. When she finally agreed to let me go to a basketball game with my best friend, who I was once again living with, she met us for dinner beforehand at Sherry's Cafe and Pies, which is a casual jeans and t-shirt type of establishment. Nicole dressed to the nines. I mean, she dressed up like we were going to the hippest place in the world, in a dress and heels, hair all done up, makeup like she was going to a photo shoot or something, and perfume. A lot of perfume. She was cordial enough to Troy, yet clearly trying to make me ditch him and our plans to be with her instead. I mean, she started giving me a squeezer under the table while I was just trying to eat a mushroom and Swiss burger then go to a basketball game. As we drove off in the car that Troy had inherited from his brother who had recently passed away from cancer, Troy said, you know, anyone that wears that much makeup and perfume is covering up something. That was all he said. That was all he needed to say. Of course, because I'm an idiot, I let her cut him off from my life, even though he was my roommate, as well as my family and my own grandfather's memorial service, my aunt's wedding. And then Troy got a job in Japan, and there he would stay for several years until he got sick. Now, Troy had never been super healthy. He had ulcerative colitis that would create horrible situations within his digestive tract and sudden need to find a bathroom or the side of the road, whatever came first. He got to where he would always carry a roll or two of toilet paper in his car just in case, and he dug many a roadside hole in our last several years hanging out together before he went overseas. And once he was overseas, Troy was really happy, loved his job, but he began having chronic liver issues. His bile ducts would clog, and everything that could go wrong from there would ultimately go wrong from there. And he had to come back to the States, which definitely threw him into a bit of a funk because he wanted to be in Japan. Amongst other things, Troy was an esthete. He genuinely appreciated all beauty and art, which he found a lot of in Japan and which didn't register with a Philistine like me. He was sick, and he really wasn't enjoying life, and 
We didn't get the chance to see each other a ton over the next several years, although he did stand up as a groomsman at my wedding. And my former wife didn't care much for Troy, and I should have seen that as a sign. Because Troy and I had been through a lot of shit together, and here this woman comes in saying she didn't think that much of him. When she decided she'd enjoyed as much of being married to me as she could stand, Troy didn't say anything. He just took my numerous phone calls at all times of the day and night and listened, once again offering a, hmm, that seemed to somehow say it all. We went to OSU football games when we could, and I visited him at his parents' house in Bandon one Christmas. Other than that, we unfortunately kind of drifted apart, but any time we got the chance to talk, it was like we'd only seen each other yesterday. And that's what a real friendship is like. It's a connection that knows no time or space and just is, not requiring any action or tinkering. It can just be. Troy started getting really sick in about 2015 or 16 and started a cycle of going in and out of the hospital. He got stents in his bile ducts, but those were a stopgap measure at best. He needed a new liver. I offered to find out if we were a match so he could have part of mine because oftentimes if one needs a new liver, 40% of a healthy liver is enough to do the trick. Unfortunately, because the problem was with the bile ducts, he needed an intact liver since he was in the VA system, he also needed a donor who was a match and lived within about a 250-mile radius to die and have a usable liver. So the clock was ticking. And he was up in the VA hospital in Vancouver recovering from another round of getting stents and medications when he texted me to ask if I could come and visit him. I said, you bet. He also texted back if I could do him a favor. I texted, of course I could do you a favor, man. He said, great, please bring me some Taco Bell. This goddamn hospital food is killing me. The last time I saw the best human friend that I'd ever had, we said we had some cheesy rice burritos and warm Coca-Cola that he had hidden in his closet because he wasn't supposed to drink Coca-Cola anymore. We talked about Beaver's football and the horrifying reality that the so-called reality TV star became president and how he was insane and then we went on to happier topics like what Troy was going to do when he got a new liver and when he was healthy again. He'd already made up his mind he was going to get healthy again after he got a new liver, and he was going to go back to Japan and find a job teaching English again because that's where he wanted to be. Unfortunately, on August 31st, 2018, that opportunity slipped away from him forever. His liver was like a four-cylinder engine running on only two cylinders and it finally failed and that led to other organs failing until he reached the point that his heart stopped beating this bespectacled dry humored friend who always knew exactly what to say to me even if it usually was just hmm was gone forever here we are three years later and I can't look at a bottle of Coke without thinking about him or watch OSU football without thinking about him. And to this day, I can't eat Taco Bell because it makes me sad. Man, come to think of it, that might be for the best. I will always miss Troy. I only wrote this story because, to be frank, I am depressed out of my skull right now, wondering just what the point of everything could possibly be. 
But one thing he said to me just won't leave me alone and gives me great comfort. And what he said was, maybe none of this is ever supposed to make any sense. And once we understand that, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Maybe so. I hope the next story I have is a lot more upbeat at the end, which is hard to say for a guy that just got fired and has a whole collection of stories about getting fired. But, you know, maybe none of this is supposed to make sense. And wonder uh, once I understand that, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, that is the latest episode of Uncle Pete's Storytime. I have another one as I write some things. God knows I have the time on my hands now. I appreciate you listening. I hope that you enjoyed it, and I'll talk to you next time. Take care now. Bye-bye then.